Well, first up tonight, this is one of those stories you just never forget when you heard about it happening or, or what you first thought when it did. One of Canada's worst mass murderers learned his fate in a Toronto courtroom today. Alex Manassian killed 10 people when he drove a rented van down a Toronto sidewalk in April 2018. He was convicted of 10 counts of first-degree murder. Today, after the court heard from many of the families and friends of the eight women and two men killed that day, as well as survivors of the attack, Manassian was sentenced to life in prison with no eligibility for parole for 25 years. Kathy Riddell survived the attack. She was one of those who spoke at the sentencing hearing today. I took my opportunity to speak to him because I didn't get that chance during the trial because it was on Zoom. So we had a face-to-face and I, I said at the very beginning, it's what I wanted to do and I'm saying my piece and whatever happens from it happens from it. But at least I spoke up. Omar Najjar's father Munir was killed that day and he said being there was tough. It is four years on, but it's still very tough to to remember the the the, the ugly details. You know, you, you you start dealing with your loss, but then there are all these ugly details that you you forget. You just at the end of the day, it's a loss. Justice Anne Malloy choked up as she delivered her sentence, saying every single one of these lives were precious. Well, joining us now from Toronto is Global News senior reporter and longtime crime specialist Catherine McDonald, who covered the attack and the trial. Catherine, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Ben, my old colleague yes. from Global News Toronto days. In, indeed, yeah, we, we've, we covered some crime over the years. But this one, Catherine, I have to say this one just felt so much worse than some of the things that, that we've seen. And you've been covering crime in Toronto for years now. Um, yeah. Just the impact of this case, it must have been, and then coming back to it today, you know? Yes. Well, you know, I sat, I, I covered the, the, the case when it started. Um, the details were so disturbing. Of course, it began uh, with this um, man named Alec Manassian. And, you know, I remember the first time he was in court and the, the, you know, dozens of media that surrounded his father, and we wanted to know more. We wanted to know why. And then I started to uh, learn about some of the victims, but so many of them were not from Toronto. And so, I, you know, I knew some of, some of their stories, but today was the first time that we heard the stories of all 26 victims. There were 11 who died uh, and 15 who survived, but many of them have life-altering injuries. In fact, Manassian was only convicted of the first-degree murder of 10 people. But in October of last year, a woman who was left a quadriplegic and who never got out of hospital died after three and a half years. And her niece told the court that uh, they thought she would live a few weeks or maybe a few months, and she somehow battled for three and a half years. And when she did uh, gain consciousness, she would wake up and ask about the other survivors. Uh, You know, I mean... This was such a heart-wrenching day listening to that many victim impact statements. There were about three dozen. Uh, and these were stories that I hadn't heard so many of them. So, and a number of people uh, who survived were talked about their friends who they lost. They were out for walks on Young Street. Um, it was a beautiful, bright uh, spring day in Toronto in April 2018. And all of a sudden, this van came, you know, barreling down the sidewalk and I spoke to people who survived, who woke up in hospital later, who didn't see the van coming. One woman whose best friend was killed. Um, another woman who was in hospital when she came to, she asked about her friend. They were both students. And it, it took her more than a month to find out that her friend had been killed after she asked and asked and asked. She finally got taken into a room with a social worker. And that's when she found out her friend was dead. And she told that story. And it was 
heart-wrenching to listen to. And, you know, some of the survivors live with terrible guilt that they survived and others, some of them got a lot younger, uh, you know, died and they had their lives ahead of them. What was it? I mean, it must have been, and I think people had forgotten about this because the trial was held virtually. This was the first time that the families of the victims and the survivors ever had a chance to basically tell him about the impact of that day. Yes. And you heard from Kathy Riddell. She was one of, that was, I interviewed her today. That was that soundbite you played was me talking to her outside court. She is a remarkable woman. She actually, right before the van attack had recovered from, I think, double knee surgery. She'd had replacement surgery. She actually, um, she said she got a chance to finally speak to him. She said, you know, why, why do you, why did you do this? You know, you with your pathetic life, because we heard in his interview that he gave police that he felt isolated, that he felt alone, he felt rejected by women. You know, of course, the defense argued that he was not criminally responsible, but the judge didn't buy that defense. So it appeared that, and of course, he re- referred to the incel movement, which, um, you know, is a bunch of men on the dark web who are rejected involuntary celibates. Uh, they're men who have been rejected by women. This appeared to be a misogynistic attack. Of the 10 people who initially were murdered, eight of them were women. And so there was a lot of discussion today in court about the fact that he targeted women um, and because he was angry. And why did he take this out on women? Um, you know, Kathy's, Kathy was incredible. And I've interviewed her before, but she really said to him, like, why did you do this? Do you have any guilt for what you've done? And, and she's a blind woman. And she doesn't see him but she has her niece sitting next to, him, to her as, as the niece is reading out the statement. And she's, you know, very capable, and, and her words were really poignant. She says, does it haunt you the way it haunts me? Despite, um, you know, she says, I think about the 11 people. Do you even feel a little bit guilty for what you did? You arbitrarily decided that I and 25 others didn't have the right to live. I pray there are very few in the world. And we heard that from other victims. Uh, one woman who I interviewed, actually, she survived at the time. Her name was Dina Risen. She also, through a victim impact, which was read out, talked about, and she's in her 80s, how she fears for her own daughter because she fears there are other Manassians out there. And she said, you know, you said and you, you told police that you, you aim to kill 100 people. I fear if you ever get out, you might want to try again. And I think... You know, the fact that he was only sentenced to life in prison for, with no chance of pro, for parole for 25 years scares people. But the reality is offenders like Manassian, if they ever get a parole hearing, they won't get out of prison. And, if, and as Justice Malloy said, you know, if, if he ever did if, there would be strict restrictions on his movement. However, um, you know, I, I covered Bernardo's, Bernardo's parole hearing last year, and Bernardo is eligible for a parole hearing every three years and can tell you having sat through that I, I i was actually you know really emotionally disturbed by the end of that hearing because even though he's been in prison for 30 years he the words and what he said with the families of the victims there was so jarring and upsetting so yeah. i understand why victims and their families don't want to have to go through this and by the way He's already served four years of this sentence, so he he will be eligible for parole in 21 years. No, exactly. And, and did he say anything at all? I mean, he's rarely said much. Did he react at all? He didn't. I, I gather he didn't. No, speak. he. I mean, look, I was I, I was sitting uh, behind him. He was wearing a mask. He he seemed to stare straight ahead. Uh, the grandson of a woman who was killed said. 
he was a coward. He never looked at me. He, he delivered a victim impact. And he said that this man didn't look at him. And as you know, I mean, the judge, when she handed down her sentence in March of last year, so 15 months ago, she didn't name him. And she said, I don't want to name him because that would only feed into his need for notoriety, which she spoke about in that interview, which this long police interrogation on the night he was arrested. That gave us some insight into him. And I, I watched that interview many times and dissected it. And it was played in the, in the trial. You know, frankly, we've all heard enough from him. And when he was when the judge asked him, do you have anything to say? He said, no, thank you, Your Honor. And I think everyone was relieved because Honestly, nothing he could say would make anyone feel any different about how they feel about him, which is that he's a monster and that he's a very sick um, man who, you know, not he obviously not mentally ill, but sick and that he he's he really um, what he did was just so terrible. And so, you know, the trauma that exists in this city is still there. I can't drive down Young Street between Finch and Shepherd without feeling, you know, a lot of anxiety because i remember being there and covering this event for weeks i'm speaking with Catherine mcdonald of uh, global news in toronto senior reporter there longtime crime specialist covered both the uh, aftermath of the attack and the trial today uh, we're talking about alex manassian being sentenced today to life in prison no eligibility for parole for 25 years and we'll get to that a little bit after because this is the first case where this recent supreme court ruling uh that struck down uh keeping people in jail longer before they're eligible uh, before they're eligible for parole came into effect and you did mention how the families were thinking about that i was going to ask you a bit more of that about that just after this. Global News senior reporter in Toronto, Catherine McDonald, is our guest this half hour. We're talking about the sentencing today of the man responsible for killing 11 people uh, in a van attack on a Toronto street back in 2018. Uh, sentenced today to 25 to life in prison without eligibility for parole for 25 years. Uh, but this uh, sentencing came at a time, is it really just a month after the Supreme Court of Canada declared it unconstitutional uh, that judges impose parole ineligibility for periods of 25 years to be served consecutively instead of concurrently. So back in, I gather, Catherine, back when the, the guilty verdict was handed down, the Crown made it clear it was going to seek this consecutive uh, eligibility for parole. So he would have been obviously in jail for many, many years. Uh, but now he right. is eligible for parole in 25 and he's not an old man. Um, that must have been weighing on the family's minds today, as you mentioned. Yeah, and you know, as the, as the judge called it, stacking periods of parole ineligibility, which happened in a number of cases since the law came into effect in 2011, it was happening, and it, it likely would have happened in this case. And now these uh, victims are, are going to have to go to, to a parole hearing. Should he be granted a parole hearing just because you apply, the judge said it doesn't mean you get one. Uh, but, you know, the victims are vowing to be there and to speak out. And, you know, one woman who really struck me today, she was actually a civilian who was a first responder. She she helped. She tried. She called 911. She was trying to organize um, emergency responders. She said, I will be there. Be there. She says, I, I couldn't even, I can't, I had to move jobs, she said, because I couldn't even walk down that part of Young Street without feeling triggered by memories of that terrible day. And, you know, I think a lot of people... Uh, the judge actually made a point of saying, you know, while many of you may be upset that we, we can't now um, sentence cons- to consecutive periods of parole and eligibility, she said it's the right decision. It was a unanimous decision. And she urged people to read the decision, not just read articles, but she said, I support this decision. And so, you know, this is uh, the Canadian justice system and this is the way it is. And so that's what we have to accept. And she said, I support this decision and I agree with it. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, just because he 
is eligible for parole doesn't mean he'll ever get out. He will likely be declared a dangerous offender. And um, unfortunately, yes, there will be parole hearings sooner than later. It's rare for a judge to weigh in on something like that during sentencing, though. It, it is uh, obviously she was well aware of, of, of how this would be received. Yeah, and she actually said, I must address the elephant in the room. Uh, she says the decision of the Supreme Court is crystal clear, its impact, and it's binding on me. Stacking up period of parole ineligibility in, in, in was declared unconstitutional. And she says all of these sentences must be concurrent. And she's going, she goes, I'm, going, I'm not going to repeat the words of the Supreme Court of Canada here. She's a very senior judge. Um, she, she, uh, I don't think she's worried about anyone calling into question what she's saying here. And she's supporting the Supreme Court. She says, um, this is the highest court in our land. And its reasoning is impeccable. And then, as I said, she says everyone should read this decision. Uh, so, I mean, it's the way it is, and she isn't letting people question it. I, I guess one of the things that struck me today, and I guess this is always the way when you go to these sentencing hearings, is just the, it, there's no, there's not even a lot of anger. It's just the pain that you hear. No, look, there are some people who were very angry, um, and a, quite a few people really looked at him and 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 expressed their anger. Um, but a lot of people, like you said, they wanted to make it more about their loved ones than this man, who many of them, as I said, don't even want to name because they don't want to give him what he sought to achieve, which was infamy. And, you know, I feel um, one of the families that really strikes me is the family of Anne-Marie D'Amico. They've been quite vocal from the beginning. And as I said, many of these families I hadn't met, but I had met Anne-Marie's family. She was a 30-year-old woman who worked in the neighborhood. She was out for a walk. I think she'd gone for coffee. Anyway, the family has started a foundation in her name, um, which is, you know, basically about violence against women. And I found Anne-Marie's father, Rocco, to be quite incredible today. He, he called this van attack Canada's equivalent to 9-11. Um, and he said, you know, they, they all were wearing purple sweatshirts, the whole family. Many of them gave victim impacts. And he says, he, he, he appeals to uh, Manassian by, by saying if Anne-Marie had known this murderer, she would have tried to find the best in him. His hate and rage towards women controlled him. All that carnage for a place in history. And then they go on to say this appalling attack gave rise to a foundation in her name. And they've, be- they've become proponents, you know, and, and advocates against domestic violence and violence against women. And, you know, they, they've, uh, they have a fundraiser every year. Um, but so, yes, there's a lot of anger towards them. I, I, I think it would be wrong to say that people are just remembering their loved ones, but mm-hmm. no one wants to say his name. Uh, we, we've, you know, families ask me, uh, the family of one man today, uh, Omar Najar, his father was killed and his father was visiting from Jordan and he said, please don't name this man. And I said, it's tough for us to do this story without naming him because people, you know, if we didn't name him, it would be difficult to find the story, for example, when you Google van attack sentencing. Yes, Um, exactly. So, you know, it's a tough tough one and I I totally get it and I try to say his name less than I might uh, with another uh, offender and certainly mass murderer. There are many words monster that go, you know, I use to describe him. But you're right. Alec Manassian is 29 years old. I'm sorry for saying his name. I, I just said I, I try not to yeah. say it, but he's yeah. 29. He's going to be eligible at 50 for parole, and then he'll be eligible again at 53. So that's yeah. that's terrifying, and that isn't that long away when you think about it. I've, I've covered cases in Toronto where the guy got life, and guess what? The families are calling me and saying, can you come to the parole hearing? 
Uh, and that's how long I've been working in Toronto. But it still yeah. goes fast. Oops. Catherine McDonald, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Great work, as always. Thank you, Ben. Nice talking to you.